Thank you. You're not asking me how am I doing. Um, the weather is gray and dull, but oh. you could rebrand that as the weather is the perfect color for a pop of color, right? It's like a perfect sixty percent gray. Put a throw a yellow banana out there, and uh, it'll sell for yeah. It'll well, look I, I, I I do have this theory, which is completely not true, but also true that being from the Netherlands and it's quite often gray that that uh, motivates you to make colorful work. Mm, I, I don't disagree. And also the colorful work yeah. stands out. But, and is of yeah, but value. I don't think it's true because the, the, uh, being half Brazilian, they make very colorful work there too. So mm. uh, I'm not so sure. But here's but, the thing. Uh, Maybe actually there it's like in the Netherlands, colorful work would sell for more because it's a rare, it's more rare to find color there. Yeah. Well, people definitely wear bright colors in their clothing. And of course, tulips, Net- right? They sell yeah. They sell like gangbusters yeah. there. They, they had a well, whole stock it, market dedicated that, to it. We, we were talking about it because uh, Christine and I always, she always wants to bring more things in the house. And I'm like, let's keep it empty. Mm-hmm. That, that's always our yeah, I discussion. Live, yeah, I don't want to live in a storage. But I always, I always bring flowers. So that's very Dutch, I think, mm-hmm. uh, because the Dutch have this flower tradition. And also they produce the flowers there. So the flowers you buy in the Netherlands are quite fresh. So they have a longer shelf life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, what, uh, and are they manufactured what, what by robots are, these days? Is, is there, there's like they've probably figured out humans aren't involved yeah. in the making of flowers. But it, it's <laughs> funny to me because the, the Dutch culture is so practical and down to earth, and uh, like food is minimized to sandwiches, so it's cheap and easy and whatever. But then they're like, oh, we need flowers for no practical reason. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like, like they might fi- find all the efficiency in the world <laughs> to produce those flowers, but end of the day, who needs flowers? Yeah. Here's a question for you: In the Netherlands, has anyone taken on the software subscription, like business subscription of flowers? Like, can you subscribe? Uh, to flower SaaS. Yeah, flower SaaS, basically. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. Because if I need fresh flowers all the time, I don't want to have to go get them. Why don't you bring me? Oh, fresh we better flowers? not put this out on the internet. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. No, the, the reason it makes sense is because flowers expire. Yeah, and no, of course you need if new you, ones. If you have a, that's a way better idea than those meal kits. <laughs> I, 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 Christina had this year, instead of a, a holiday party with a company, they had a few things they would send to your home. Yeah. And so they sent us the blue apron stuff. This is another anti-ad on, on the podcast, but boy, is there a lot of packaging in the blue apron Oh package. my God, yeah. I saw them once. It's, it's crazy. like every clove of garlic is in a separate little box and like three stems of, of uh, parsley and uh, one little chili. P- it's, it's so wasteful. Yeah. 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 It's like it's like a, a box. They, they really, it's like um, they ship you one box and on the, uh, on the other side of it, there's a box of coal <laughs> used, in, <laughs> used in the production of the box. <laughs> packaging. Yeah, but I, I, I have to say... We we cook more this year than usual, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, I have to throw out a lot of stuff because uh, there'll be a recipe, and you want some celery, and you can only buy like a a whole celery that's like twelve sticks, and you you need maybe one or two for the recipe, and then you chew a few up as a snack, and then you're still stuck with eight celery sticks. And right. I don't know. It, I don't know with the, what you would do with the leftovers, leftover vegetables, and old bread and. I am still really old school in that I like to go to the grocery store, pick the thing up, put it in the basket, get a little bit of COVID. Oh, I do the same. I do the same. 
Yeah. But Smell but if fruit. you go to Trader Joe's and you want to buy celery, it comes in this plastic bag. Oh, and yeah. it's it's a huge amount and it's not expensive, so that's not the problem. But uh, someone was saying we're so focused on packaging, but it's also really wasteful storing away food. Of course, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I grew up. My father was a packaging designer. It's like the the obviously you can go to a farmer's market or directly to the farm, and the packaging will consist of like there'll still be packaging, right? There's still I guess one change here, and I suppose it's true in New York too, is that people usually bring their own bags now, like um, yeah, canvas bags. Yeah. But bringing your own yeah. packaging, that's a whole new idea. Yeah, but then I don't even know what the calculus is of small-scale farming. If every farmer has to buy a tractor instead of one big farm that has one big tractor. and like, I'm not so sure whether f- small-scale farming really is. It, well, here, it, like, it's complicated. if you buy direct on the farm, which I do in the summer... They'll like yeah. give you like a container, and they're like, "And we'll like we'll take the container back after you've bought it." <laughs> it's like, yeah. So uh, because they're so no, I, I get it, but there yeah. are the economies of scale yeah. which might also apply to sustainability. That if you uh, farm on a really huge scale and you can feed a million people with four machines instead of having all these little farms that each have their own shed and their own bucket and their own. You know what I mean? Like it, it the, visually, you would think the small farm is better. It, maybe the same argument. What I'm trying to say is, uh, cities seem like they are, would be heavily polluted, but they're actually better for the planet because people travel. Uh, you know, like it's counterintuitive, but living in the countryside mm. and driving around for everything is actually, yeah. Which brings us to today's question. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we have a we have like a. A quest, a four-part question. I feel like, um, yeah. So you know, people who are just tuning in after maybe not realizing we've changed the format of the podcast. We're taking audience questions. Yeah, um, please send us your questions. And doing our best to answer them with very little preparation. <laughs> yeah. So, in the spirit of good point, drawing on our personal experience and lack of expertise um, to debate and maybe get to something interesting. So, we have a question from from Hans. Yeah, let's listen to it. Yeah, let's listen. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. There is art and there is the art world, and these are two different things. So, when you talk about starting up an art school, which of those two areas it will focus on? I guess the second one, because for the first there is no need for schools anymore. The last century gave us that marvelous liberty to create whatever we want and call it art. Everything is solved here. Everybody is an artist and everything can be art. So any school can be an art school. However, to make it or something in the art world, that is a completely different game. The same last century did not change a lot here. The art world is still that social networking play where money, power and ego set the rules. So... I am curious what kind of courses you would provide in your new art school. What is so particular or really different about the art world that makes it stand out from any other kind of social networking play? What techniques, insights, knowledges, preconditions, social moves or psychological tricks an artist of this shaking century should learn to master. Well, thank you, Hans, for the question. Yeah. And, uh, 
it's definitely something that's been on our minds and uh we might have mentioned it on the podcast that we were I think it kind of started with the idea that art schools have gotten so expensive and none of that money goes to the teachers. Yeah. We've, we've, For me, it was, it was an, an, an economic reason that I started thinking about it, like it being unfair, but also being an opportunity. Yeah. And I've also started, I did start a school, and that's just not an art school. But to, to Hans's point, like maybe... Uh, all schools are art schools, and I think that's interesting. This distinction between—I don't know how we're going to do this because this is a t- you know it's a typical artist question. No, no shade, Hans, but like I was joking with Raphael. It's like you know you give a lecture at an auditorium, and there's all like art crowds are the best. I assume film crowds are the same. I don't have that much experience outside of the art world, to be honest. But with I you. don't think this f- question is so unfocused. It's just—it's very I think focused. It's, a- it's very complex. I think that the the point is yeah. like embedded in it are. There's there's rhetorical statement that we need to like pull apart because there's some assumptions yeah. built in there, and then but there's maybe it, it, it's a really I, good question. Have to summarize him. The 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 really the question is: Should art schools focus on craft or on marketing? Hmm. Well, that's part of maybe one of the questions. The first assumption, though, is that the, that Hans makes is that there is art, and then there there is the art world. <clears throat> and I don't think this is incorrect. Yeah, but it's it's the making and the marketing. I think that that's I the see, distinction. I see. So if you start a tech school for for developers and uh, uh, people who love making stuff and who love algorithms, and you have two nerds who come up with the Google algorithm, but they're like, okay, how do we tell people about it, and how do we get get it into the world? Well, the first thought that came to mind on that front is like there are, there are some examples of that, like the. In New York, the School for Poetic Computation is a private establishment founded by an artist. <clears throat> that and you know the idea is, and it's for profit school um, that started out like as a small kind of thing, but you know it's it's programming taught through a creative lens, right? Um, so, I mean, yeah, any school can be art school, and any. Any, but anything can be transformed into art. I guess I, I, I'm drifting here a little bit, but like, I think the point is taken, and I think Hans makes a really good point. But then the marketing, to your point, Raphael, of it as art. So whether it it enters into, because you know what is creative, what is programming or creative programming good for as far as you know capitalism's concerned? It's like okay, that we'll just funnel that into startup culture or something. That energy. Um, yeah, if like you can become yeah. good at Snapchat filters. Right. But if you funnel it into art, you're funneling it into a different marketing stream, to your point, or a different audience and remuneration scheme. As soon as you call it art, it's almost like um, you're, yeah, you're, you're putting on a different store shelf. Let's put it that way. Um, and it's a much more difficult store shelf to do well on, potentially. But I, I, I might argue it's... That's not necessarily true. It's just um, it's just different, like and it yeah. and how we how you measure the rewards. I I, I was watching an episode of Comedians in Cars with Seinfeld, and uh, I think he sits down with Steve Harvey, and they talk about teaching comedy, and mm-hmm. that there are workshops and classes, and they both feel like it's so cringy to teach comedy. And like, how do you teach someone to be funny? Like, you're funny or you're not funny. Yeah. yeah. End of story. But that. But I do think the one thing they said is that what helps is hanging out with other comedians. And then I think the same thing for artists. If you want to learn the business side of it or the art world or the connections or the, the communication and the how do you position yourself, I think that comes from hanging out with other artists. And 
that's a big part of what an art school should do and why I, I think an online art school wouldn't be so interesting. Yeah, I guess the question, um, you know, the root question here is like, would we start an art school? You and I have decided not to over and over and over again. And how would it be different no. as well? I would, I would first want to sort of discuss what's great. I'm like a huge promoter of art school. I don't actually, I'm not, I'm not really clear if you are or not, but like, I love art school and it's probably relative to Hans's statement, but I might kind of like before you get into like where does it end up and like the long term success of anything, what I and and even the tuition, let's like just remove all the capital constraints. The actual beauty of art school, at least in my lived experience, I went to two different art schools, one for my undergrad and one for my grad. Um, was kind of what you're talking about, but a little bit more of um, it was the people and being trapped with a set of people that I didn't choose you know, at the outset um, to a certain extent, like and the collisions that that resulted in. And it yeah. was also the 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 space <clears throat> or the you know, which I've come to realize after so many years is extremely rare. The amount of boredom built into art school. <laughs> is unparalleled like the amount of unstructured learning and space for um quiet uh contemplation it's also pre-internet and it is pre pre-internet in its design your art school experience that's what i mean oh oh yeah well i mean uh, like you're describing this boredom which yeah. a lot of people have too much time on their hands right now they might be furloughed or laid off yeah. etc but this idea of, of of blank time for the mind uh, is different now that you're assaulted with the the end of the world every five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I would love to hear from folks in art school whether they still feel like whether they still sit in a corner looking at some, the, a colleague's work. You know, they sit on the ground with a beer and spend 45 minutes talking about the color red. I don't know. Like, I just haven't had that experience since I was in art school, but I did have that. And it's kind of, it sounds super pretentious, but to be honest, um, it, don't you have that experience when you uh, do group shows and uh, you're talking to other people and hanging work and uh, maybe discuss with a curator or a gallerist and analyze the work? And I do get that experience through yeah through talking to curators and collaborators, um, but um, it's not the same volume like a 24 hour cycle of. You know, there's obviously there's personal politics that, you know, exist too, where it's like, oh my God, so-and-so got an A or whatever. <laughs> like, I can't believe that their work. There's a bunch of social networking stuff that's happening to Hans's point about social networks. Yeah. There's like a hierarchy that's evolving. You're starting to kind of learn like what's going to work and what's not. But, well, yeah. One thing I, I uh, disagree with Hans is this idea that uh, the visual and technical and art making part has been figured out. He he sets up the premise of the question saying, well, we figured out the art school, anything can be art, so we don't really have to teach that anymore. Yeah. And that's, I think they predicted the end of physics many times, like, oh, we know everything. <laughs> right, right, right. We, we just have to figure out how to uh, blend gravity and uh, atomic forces. Just to find that last particle. And, and, yeah, and then we'll, everything's good and we figured bigs. everything out and mm -hmm. humans know everything. It's like, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And the, a good argument is the idea that uh, every generation has to rewrite love songs because the old <laughs> love songs just don't apply to them. So if falling in love every 10, 15 years is different, uh, or you have to re rewrite it. 
Well, and I think the same is for like. I don't know. I, what I got out of art school, what I really enjoyed was uh, all the materials and methods that were available. So I could uh, shoot on film or video and use an editing room, or I could silkscreen, or I could weld, or I could cut uh, yeah. pieces of wood and and glue. And, and being exposed to materials that you wouldn't approach yourself because either they're too expensive or they're out of your comfort zone. Uh, yeah, I think those things. I don't think you can do that on your own. That was when like Gropius. Like, oh, school is stupid. That was like Gropius, that was Gropius's idea for the Bauhaus, like which became the kind of foundation of a lot of art and design schools, <clears throat> which is exposure to materials and processes yeah. would result in. Yeah, but the idea that I, I I felt like in his question he said we're already past that stage, and I think very often people take that for granted. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, no, somebody already figured that out. Now we are intellectuals and we don't have to touch the material. I think you're making a really good point because I went to art school um, and I went to uh, undergrad for, like, sociology. And I, but I started in a computer science degree. And, I like, I just didn't learn uh, programming in a way that was inspiring. But then in my master's, I had access to, like, creative coding classes. And uh, that ended up becoming the material for most of my like early career was uh, creative uh, programming. Yeah, and I would argue that a lot of new media focused artists are uncomfortable with physical materials, and then when they execute in in quotation marks execute the idea, then they go with the first solution, and they might have to try a little more. And if had they spent more time in art school and the uh, testing materials, the result might be better or the result might be more compelling or I'm, I'm always weary of this idea of separating the idea from the material. Well, I think one other thing to separate is self will versus imposed um, requirement. And so one of the interesting things I think about art school is there are required courses and electives, but there's also the requirement that you complete a certain number of courses within that period of boredom. I described four years, right? And what I think is interesting about that is because you could make the argument, hey, art school's on YouTube. You know, fire up YouTube or fire up some like Yeah, that's the same people that thing. said that uh, the open office is a good idea for creativity. But what that, you, yeah, but what quickly happens <laughs> it's is. It's just cheap. You, it's just cheap. You're like looking at, well, should I learn programming or should I watch this video <laughs> about, you know, reviews about of puppies? the new, yeah, puppies or something. Yeah. Puppy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so it's not structured. There's no, like, no, but it's cheap. It's the same thing where people like VR is the future of exhibitions. It's like, yeah, it's cheaper than a building, but it's not. Yeah. Well, the other thing I was reading this morning is that like Las Vegas schools um, are they, the suicide rate is doubled uh, during the pandemic. Why am I laughing? Jesus, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, um, like they're like emergency greater than the pandemic is that we get these kids back in school because they're going to kill themselves if they don't die of COVID, right? So, I know. And I feel like the, the this is the, the the Corona thing is really just like weighing the 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 importance of the older generation or the younger generation. It's really the 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 incentives are really stacked against each other. Because you, but you could make this argument that online learning, in the very least, is going to replace. In-person learning, but you know, yeah, and the and the and, and processed food will replace home-cooked food. Sure, for me, it's very real because I, you know, I lead this school or help, uh, you know, co-lead this school of um, program like product managers, uh, APM Toronto, and we were all in person. The entire value of what we offered was like this really intimate program where you got one-on-one time with 
senior folks and a lot of mentorship and you met people that you'd spend a lifetime with. And then we, we've ported it online and it's just like, we've tried everything and it's just not this, it's not the same. And you can tell it's not the same because it, it like, honestly, like the discussion. Well, some things are better same. online, but I, I just remembering art school for me, it's, uh, I tend to not mess around with materials and I'm glad I did for four years. Uh, and that, uh, I think I would have never done that had I just started on my own with an iMac and, and figure things out on YouTube. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like if we did do a school, you know, we, the thing we keep that keeps falling apart in, in our discussion is it just doesn't sound like a great experience for us. <laughs> like, no, like when we are like, when we talk, talk about designing our lives, like as just selfish human beings, you and I always end up at the conclusion, like, wow, that sounds like torture. I don't want to, I don't want to design this thing. <laughs> No, but uh, uh, I think if it's not good for the teacher, it's not good for the student. If the teacher is there against their will, it's like, well, I need insurance, so I'm taking this job, but I'm actually really grumpy. Yeah, That's not going to be inspiring for the kids. So uh, I think it should be beneficial for both. And It's not a perfect um, world. Of course, people have to do things for money. But in general, if, if we are in the position to design our own school, we should make it that we are excited. Otherwise, what's the point? Exactly. Like, I, I think in creativity, being selfish is being generous. So I think if you set up a system that is like, oh, this is, this is heaven. I'm so happy here. And then the students will be happy. Then, uh, you know, like start with the with the, your own mask the, the oxygen mask like that idea well i always like the idea that like you know coming out of art school the, the the thing that was most exciting for me was like i met other people like myself that were super weird and then we formed collectives where we like supported one another and then you know we found an audience together as well and so the I think grouping a bunch of people together in a way where they're forming great relationships and they feel good about each other and they support one another, that's still like a great idea. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, sure. and that's how great companies run too, I've, I've experienced. Yeah. The opposite where everyone is miserable and they get in their chain gang together just to get the job done. That is not, I don't think that's the future of anything. Um, no. Anything that we want to support. And, and I, I do think uh, any teacher should teach what they're good at. So mm. I, I don't think I'm so good at networking and the art world and uh, with capital A. Mm. I think I, I'm, I'm better at uh, talking about uh, exploring your own mind and finding the material you're interested in. And, and yeah. uh, so I, I, I would be very uncomfortable saying like, okay, well, this is what you wear when you go to Miami Basel. And then this is the Coke dealer you have to talk to. <laughs> and then... I yeah. my the argument I'd make is that that's that's a that's like a kind of a, a, an old whale like one that's dying and so it's time to generate some new sharks um, mm. to eat that whale that's so horribly yeah. <laughs> ecological. But, but there, there is the weird thing. Uh, I I came from a, a family where a lot of people in my family went to art school and my dad is an art teacher and my mom studied architecture and mm-hmm. so that I think. That sets you up in a different way than if your parents are uh, lawyers and they're very suspicious of you mm. going to art school. Yeah, I was. So I, same for you. Like I was nurtured. Y- yeah, you you came from a visually, um, what's the word, uh, literate environment. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like, like there's there's already so many things that were, you were exposed to or discussed, and uh, uh, color theory and yeah. composition. It was part of everyday dinner table conversation. And, yeah. yeah. So, I think both of us, uh, in that sense, were privileged that it's hard to understand the importance of teaching the basics. Did you ever, when you did you ever come across this show when you were in art school called Fishing with John? It was like um, a kind of like a cult. John Lurie? Yeah. He, I came up on my YouTube recently. I think he did a new show. So he has now. a new show he called yeah, Painting age, with yeah. John, which is kind of like, not like Bob Ross. He actually makes fun of Bob Ross a little bit on the, the show. But it's um, a little bit like this podcast. He, he describes, though, growing up in the first episode and uh, his parents allowing him and his brother to like not grow up. Uh, and specifically for his brother to take on different characters, like be a dog or like become Mighty Mouse for a week or whatever. And that, you know, um, in any in every case, like they nurtured that as the most important thing over all other things was that they continue to freely express themselves. Instead of do your chores and do your homework. and uh... Or like, yeah, do the right thing according to these social norms or whatever. And I think, um, and the show itself is like, you know, very much structured to emphasize that like this you know the structure of a normal show should be also kind of dismantled fishing with john though his original series took like took every advantage and like uh sabotaged it and i think that's what made it great it was like he would do these interviews while fishing with different celebrities like he'd go to you know ice fishing with willem dafoe and they'd build like a structure together but it was like video art in the 1990s as a show and like they didn't talk about Willem Dafoe's career at all. <laughs> it's just like, mm. they're just like basically building a fishing hut and talking about fishing yeah. the whole time. And I but think you see the way they do it is different from how someone else would do it. Yeah. The education is not the download of information. This is like a huge thing. Kristen, my um, partner has taught me about education is like the really antique ideas that, you know, um, education is just like data transfer. And in that, in that world, Data. Yeah, like in the Matrix where they just yeah. uh, hit me, or and the then Fifth he Element, Kung Fu yeah. with a floppy drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or I'm playing Cyberpunk right now, and yeah, yeah, everything is like, give me that, and then they like download the data into their brains, and that is like so not uh, what education is. It's much more experiential, and it's also like ultimately the teacher is the guide of your own learning. And I know it sounds super cheesy, but like you need that guide. You actually need that mentor. Yeah. Like I, I was very lucky I had guides in both art school situations. Not everyone gets that though. I think there's like asymmetry in art school where there are favorites yeah. and non-favorites. But And and one thing I think uh, is implied in the question is also that the, there's this magical art world and it's completely separated from personal talent and art making. It's just like this weird... You have to talk to the right people and uh, get high with the right people, and then you're in, and then magically anything you make is a success, just because you have the right representation. Well, that's just definitely not true in my experience. But but, but it feels that way when you're young because you're uh, in school and everybody's work is kind of crap, and you're thinking, oh, uh, why is that person going to be famous and not me? And it it it, it seems that it's kind of random who gets picked. That that's I think that's a much debated topic among anyone in the well my experience like, like it's been, like, no 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 yeah. please let me finish like yeah. the idea that that the art world is such an amplifier that even if you're mildly talented they can just amplify anything and oh, right. I'm I'm not really uh, sure either way what's true like definitely if you get into the 
treadmill of success or the the snowball effect that even if you weren't that talented, you were just in the right time, right place? Or does the system always pick the winner because they can see the talent uh, innate and yeah? I think there's a, there's definitely access and there are gatekeepers, you know, to to access. And like if you're part of a network or group of people, um, it can be easier. But I, in, I'm sure you've had a similar experience, like just there's been works that I've made that no one has been interested in. Or, and then maybe they're interested in later. Um, but the one thing that has been consistent, I think, is um, what I mentioned earlier, like supporting and be, and helping other people. Um has usually meant that when I need when I need help, they're more available, and I'm able to do more, and it's a little bit easier. So, relationships, and this is, but this is just true in all business, but, right? Like, but maybe I always go back to Wade Guyton as the example of the mm. is like a for for those listening don't know who he is. He is an artist who sort of explored the inkjet printer in a messed up way. So. Everyone in the art world was using printing uh, coming from photography and everyone tries to make the best possible print. Mm -hmm. So if a photographer, if uh, Gursky makes a a giant detailed print, he goes and finds the best printer in Germany and they work and they stretch the possibilities of the machine to make it as high res, as crisp, as color accurate, the best uh, color gamma and whatever. And then Wade Guyton comes along in sort of a way, the same way Jody uses the browser and like, Let's just mess with the material and see what comes out. Yep, yep, yep. So there's been generations of, of new media artists and unstable media and mostly moving image. But the problem is it's hard to sell. So you, you become cynical and you think, well, they're going to ignore this work that's innovative. But just because it doesn't work in the market, uh, it's ignored by the art world. So we know all our favorite artists are... Mm-hmm. pioneers that did stuff with video or software and they're messing with the code and then comes along this guy who works with new technology but a slightly more stable technology the inkjet printer mm-hmm. and he makes these giant messy inkjet prints that feel painterly and he just goes into microsoft word types a few letters and then prints them out huge and it works everybody's like okay i get it it's it's technology but it's also fixed it's also painting mm-hmm. and so the cynical view is like Oh, he sold out, he he marketed it, and now it's successful because it's marketed. But then the other point of view is like, after installing so many new media shows and all this legacy software and machines breaking and there's too much light in the room and the projections kind of faint, and then you just have these paintings and you just hang them and they're there. And it's really calm and it's very... It's very iconic because it's always there and it doesn't change. And there's not the question, is this the right color? Uh, is the projector set the right way? It's like, no, the the, the, the work is crystallized. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to say is that when you come from art school and from your background, you're not thinking of the audience, you're, you're making it. Mm-hmm. But if you're thinking from the... It's almost like... What I'm getting at is like, it, he feels a bit like a, someone who got lucky and then the the art world machine just uh, gave him so much support that it could scale up yeah and it could have been anyone else it's it just seems so random the work like oh it just hit a printer and uh, and and he's basically printing money or is it a much better version of all the hacking art that we like because it's more crystallized yeah i just think that that you know that's one set of value uh or one value definition but you know my, I've often talked about the flexus, you know, value being that 
it would be the antithesis of that, right? Because crystallization no, no, but, 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 would be the opposite what, of what we want to create. Okay, you know? but what I mean with value yeah. system is that we th- sometimes you can think because it's accepted, it's mm. it must be suspicious and somebody sold out and bended to the market, or yeah. is it that once it's crystallized and stabilized, that's actually a better version of the same idea? Yeah, or like one of n versions. I I'm much very much like against the idea that, that everything has to be um you know dialectic like one doesn't need to be against the other one could be alongside the other and i think actually culture requires both to exist um but to my point like a performance artist would be like well you know like if i crystallized it yeah i guess you know you know eve klein <laughs> did some terrible paintings where he used women women's bodies as a paintbrush or whatever and mixed performance and and the fixed crystal you know, crystal uh, form, and it kind of makes mm-hmm. critical sense. Um, but, you know, is that, what if I want to make works specifically against, um, you know, the capital machine? What if I want to make works that, that can't uh, be bought or sold? And that's where, like, the argument um, I'd like to make, and maybe Hans makes it, uh, is that, like, uh, that is also really necessary and important. You know, music live is still important even though we have music recordings in spotify right like going to see a live show is still of value and it doesn't have to be of monetary value though like i'm i'm remembering that there's all these galleries that opened just before the pandemic all these like you know people like um doing experience like companies starting private equity like from the art world going into experiential art um and yeah like like was it meow wolf or whatever and stuff so I'm, I'm remiss to say like the two are are different. It's it's just yeah, packaging. But, but but maybe my point back to art school is that um, the question of like making the work and then bringing the work into the white cube and mm-hmm. getting it doing that video game of like a higher level up to the biennials and museum collections and whatever. Um, it's very hard to say. Like sometimes. You could be in art school or in isolation and have a great idea and make something and it's a it's a great work. And then it's unseen. I I really don't have an answer there. Like, it, but that's a personal choice. Like I think at the end of the day, if I was to take this out of the art world and just apply it to business, let's say small business, yeah, in entrepreneurship, yeah. like it's know, very comparable. It's very yeah. comparable because like ninety percent of those folks fail. A lot of times they fail not because of the product, their product, but because they get stuck on... But even a, a huge company like Google Wave failed, and now Slack is kind of what Google Wave was. Sure. Is that fair to say? Sure, yeah. But that's in, that, like yeah. someone just built on a, a previous idea. Um, yeah. And that's a but form so of Google Wave, for culture. those who don't know, was like an advanced email client of, or taking email as a collaborative tool with document editing within the tool and versioning and things like that. And... Um, Nobody used it, and it was the biggest com- software company in the world that was making it, and they couldn't get it to people. Yeah, they, they did the whole thing with secret invites, and they're pushing it, and so I think that's the same. I think a lot of artists will make a work and then objectively think like, "This is innovative. It's beautiful. Uh, I know it's not at the big scale yet, but uh, if they could only see it, and then it could grow, 
And then the whole world is like, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. But in art school, I think if we bring it back to that, you do get this built-in audience, um, which is rare. Of like, it's almost like um, yeah, uh, you get like a focus group, <laughs> like, and you get exhibition time and exhibition time. You get all yeah, you get all the parameters of like a lab, um, a laboratory that you kind of you you do have it after art school, but you don't get the the feedback loops. You actually have to go out and get them. Like I don't know if you do this, but you know I I like do a lot of interviews in my art practice just to like understand you know what people are thinking yeah it's like therapy <laughs> yeah, yeah. um and, and yeah the, the podcast is too but in art school you get that continuously and it's actually real you realize in retrospect pretty rare to have that kind yeah. of focus group the problem is of course you end up in this world of artists making art for other artists versus potentially um making art for for the world um and i think that's maybe where the art world versus world in general thing that Hans is talking about might come into play. But I would argue that <clears throat> like the art world distinction um, is not necessary if you have a, a vision of an art world that doesn't yet exist. And sometimes the art world catches up to that. Yeah. And there are many art worlds. There's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so like, I don't know, in my career and your career, I think in the careers of artists I admire most, they've actually like gone against the art world. And the art world is eventually like kind of caught up to them, and th it, that's also true in business. Like, and there's the old Wayne Gretzky quote that's so cheesy, but it's like, you know, don't go to where the puck is, go where you know yeah. to where the puck's. Or the blue move. ocean, red ocean, yeah. or you shark. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it gets super cheesy, super fast. But like the the bottom line is strategically that should be. That should be we should sell a T-shirt that says it gets super cheesy, super fast. <laughs> yeah, sponsored by Doritos. Um, <laughs> but like, it's not social media tricks at that point, or like you know what skills do these artists need to master? They it, it's still self mastery there's, in that point. You know? There's this expression in Dutch, uh, omhooggevallen, mm -hmm. that is like falling upwards. Oh, cool. And it it, it kind of means like, you know, you can stumble down and be, maybe you get into substance abuse or mental health problems and you can't fulfill your commitments and you go down this downward spiral. But there's always also the upward spiral and it just seems very unfair. You're like, you're making your work and you think it's very good and you see someone else with a very silly idea and the machine uh, accepts the idea and then pushes it upward and... If you just amplify the idea, make it bigger, bigger, bigger installation, more press, at some point you start to believe it. You're like, oh, yeah, no, it, it it seems silly, but actually it was in all these important places and all these important people talked about it, so it must there must be more to it. I mean, I've seen that happen to people in my career, but one thing I would say about <clears throat> colleagues and friends who have fallen upward is that quite often they were working like without any attention for a really long time on something that yeah. they were, yeah. like a niche that they were really passionate about. And then suddenly the time, like context time and the people they met all like all kind of coalesced at the same moment. And then they got picked up. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I don't know. But but it's, so back to teaching. Yeah. I have a really hard time with teaching that I, I do feel this cringiness of like you either have it or you don't. And so when you talk to students, uh, I feel like there's not much I can change about the student. Like you have it or you don't, and what am I supposed to do about it? Well, that's, that's my whole feeling with art. The same art thing teaching. your parents did. <clears throat> I think and what my, and what my te best teachers did. Like, my first and most important teacher was this guy, Colin Campbell. And I wasn't sure if I should be doing art because I was, like, this young capitalist a, a little bit, which doesn't surprise you, I know. But it w I was like, 
you know, what's the point? I'm just going to be poor and homeless. And I was terrified of being homeless. Um, and so I should go do something practical. I don't know why I chose sociology, <laughs> but I was doing that. And then I, I had this moment where I, I met Colin and then he was just like, you know, you're really talented. You should do this. And I went home and I talked to my mom. It was in my first year of college, university here. And I was like, mom, I just need art in my life. And Colin says I need it too. <laughs> it's like, And I took a seminar and then I, I took more of his classes and then I became his assistant. And one of the things he did throughout that whole time was he was like, he just, he lied to me, actually. He said I was talented and that I should continue, right? Like, and of course I wasn't talented yet, right? He, But he saw potential. No, that's not true. No, no, no. I think when you're an older teacher and you've been working professionally for 25 years and you see a group of 20-year-olds, it's pretty clear which ones have the right energy. And even if the work is not there, like you can feel the energy. And so you're not comparing those students to uh, established artists that have been working yeah. for 40 years. But if you look in a group of 20 kids that are 20 years old, you can see like, oh, those five have good energy. Uh, they have, uh, uh, they're enthusiastic, they're original or whatever. And then you see a bunch of people that are just trying to please the teacher and they're uh, kind of slow and they you have to motivate them and they're kind of, I don't know. I but maybe I'm wrong. But I think yeah. But there uh, are all kinds of signals that, that go into that. But you know. what I'm trying to say is, everyone at that stage is kind of crappy. Like yeah, I'm you're sure, right. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think the the. But, thing I mean, one of the things one teacher told me at the time because I was quite young entering art school. I had just turned eighteen, and some people who came into art school had done a vocational school or had gone to university, and they were like twenty five. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of. Uh, like a young adolescent interested in uh, subcultural stuff and they were all sort of more like a Joseph Beuys t- type and they knew all the things to say and they knew all the, the language that comes with art and they knew all the materials you're supposed to use. So their work looked more like art. Yeah. And my teacher said, well, it's it's not about the point where you're at, it's about the growth potential. So if you have two students and one seems like they're further and the other one seems like they need a lot of work, but they're making more progress in, in half a year. Yeah. And the other one just stays kind of on the same level for half a year. You, that other one can catch up really quick and then run past the, 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 the advanced student. Yeah, I mean, I was a teacher at NYU for a little while, and I can speak to that um, from my personal experience. Like, It's about in, the change, not about the place where you are. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, but I remember looking at the students, and actually there was one student, um, he... He, he was actually like a you know foreign student from Japan. He had all of these like really unique interests. He wanted to become a performer, but he had this fear of performing and his his craft skills were actually terrible. Um, but his like in his eyes was this like like you said energy and I know it sounds super cheesy, but it was like a conviction that you know he, that he like a desire almost or something like and I was like, I have to unlock that. In him, like mm. I have to help this guy. Like I, if he wants it, then the only thing preventing him from achieving it is is himself. And we worked. We actually struggled the whole semester. And then I remember, I was like, I had a one on one with him or something. It's like, you know, you can do this. You got to do this. And he's like, but. And we had this breakthrough. He's like, but my parents say I can't and I shouldn't. Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck your parents. We got to like rail against your parents. <laughs> but he came to final crit and he 
you know, he his performance wasn't good, but the, it was like the the energy that he put into it was so good that the whole classroom like erupted into like a standing ovation. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this is, like it was yeah. like he was so, and he he had barfed just before, like he had to put. He's like, I'm so nervous. <laughs> yeah. But he was the thing he was nervous about was like he like he wanted to build his life around this, right? Like he you want if you want to build a life, the life is there, but you have to you actually actually take the first step into it right and he was yeah, so nervous and, and that he reject his past the, the funny thing is is if you're worried about whether you're going to make money with it or not you're putting energy into that part of your brain oh yeah and if you just accept i'm here for four years and if i just focus on the work itself those other things will fall into place and i don't think it, well so that's just the, it you have these privileged four years where you don't have to be part of the world for four years so take advantage and really go as far as you can with that because if if during those four years you're like well what are mortgage rates and i should in, uh, invest and i should put some money into the stock market and i should have three jobs to support this and yeah i think now is the time to be frugal and live on almost nothing and focus on the work i mean a lot of folks you know bring on all the student debt too and and yeah, I know- that's that's the whole reason this came up because it's, yeah. i've done some critiques and 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 guest teaching in Europe and I've done a bit in the the US and it's a very different feeling when you tell someone hmm maybe you should do something else than art school and and they lost 2000 bucks or they yeah. lost 100000 bucks it's a different feeling and it did have a direct impact on myself versus my partner Kristen who also went to art school she graduated with like $100,000 in debt and I graduated with a surplus uh, so I didn't I have to admit I didn't pay for my for graduate school, I paid a little bit for undergrad, but almost nothing because I live in a country that m- subsidizes most of our education costs. And when she graduated, she was so nervous, like it was like crippling. Um, and you know, this debt. Yeah, well, just that's hung part away. of why I thought of uh, doing an art school. But then I I thought, oh yeah, let's do an art school, but where? And then you start to look at rent and insurance costs mm-hmm. and materials and teacher assistants and then you you understand why the art school in new york is so expensive yeah yeah well the school that you know what we do for product management which is not for profit we actually have a surplus and are able to run it and you know there you we don't have a building like that's one thing that costs schools yeah a lot of money um but i i would recommend any anyone uh, who goes into any type of art that you still should play with physical materials, even if you become a performance artist or a, a code-based artist or a video moving image, I, th- I still think it's helpful to mess around with materials. Why, is, why do you say that? I don't know. It, it's, it's something... Because um, code I think is it's material. So, so, no, but what I mean is the rest of your life, you can be stuck in a small apartment with a laptop and figure everything out. Mm-hmm. And so there's this unique moment that you might get a lot of ideas from it that you wouldn't get later. Hmm. Yeah, uh, oh, I so see what you're I, saying. You I, draw on that experience yeah. later on. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, and so there, there's something that you isolate certain problems in materials. So when you're forced to do uh, live drawing of, of uh, people or when you're forced to do abstract painting or whatever, you're forced to slow down time and do these things. And those things are useful. It's, it's that cliche story of... Uh, Steve Jobs walking into a typography class, and that's mm. why we have uh, variable width fonts on, on the computers at that time. Yeah, I, I think there's something about, I guess you could, I don't know. I, I really am grateful that I had a lot of 
messing around with materials. I don't disagree, but I think it goes both ways. Like those that are working with physical materials, painters, etc., yeah. sculptors, yeah, yeah. can also benefit from you know being exposed to technology. Yeah, and also their bodies, you know, and yeah. their identity as part of you know just a, a social understanding of what they're making in relationship to themselves and yeah. and the metaphysical. So I, I mean, anyway, but maybe yeah. maybe to the question of Hans also that like oh we figured out the making and it's all about the art world. I I do think right now it feels like the art world is focused more on narrative than on the visual part and it seems like oh the visual part someone else can figure that out but we're intellectuals so that's kind of beneath us i kind of agree with you um and i started out in my career doing like amateur aesthetic almost as like a pastiche and um over time i've come to realize like how like trite that is like in the history of art like It's like like what what artist in any era has you know there are examples of but it ends up being kind of a cheap trick of like oh if it's commercial then it must be ugly well it's a bit condescending yeah yeah and yeah. and then I was like also I have the skills to do a good job at this and I'm choosing not to wait a second <laughs> like seems so silly why would I intentionally yeah now obviously like even in speculative uh, uh, design circles like in sorry in like kind of avant-garde design there's like there's been this period of speculative design where a lot of the intent was to break the rules by intentionally being ugly and, and we've had ugly painting for the last you know decade or so like an intentional naivete but I'm, well one would argue for the last 170 years yeah 100 yeah that's true um but there's still an aesthetic, an aesthetic investigation, I suppose, that's essential, like that you know the rules to break. It's such a cliche to say you need to know the rules, rules to break them. But like, you, if it's a lab experiment or if you're studying it, like, wouldn't you want to? Yeah. Like, it's it just wouldn't be rewarding but personally. Let, let, let's put it this way. If if I had the option, yeah, uh, I would love to go into a building have my own studio for four years and a bunch of workshops where I could make prototypes out of plastic and wood and metal and all kinds of paint and all kinds of printmaking machines and all kinds of advanced. If I had that to my disposal, that would be a lot more interesting to me than like a four year crash course in uh, auction houses and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, advanced museum management and learning all that shit. Like it, I don't care. Like I really. Does any art school do that? Does, does, does I don't think. No, happened. but but I think that was the question, and I, I I read an interview with Alex Israel that he went to art school but felt like he wasn't ready yet. So oh yeah, he yeah. Finished undergrad. One hundred percent of artists then, I meet in school say that though. Yeah, and he's like, I'm not ready. So he went to work for a gallery. Then he worked for an auction house. He learned all that stuff, mm-hmm. and then he went to grad school and formed his body of work and etc. So. There are people who go about it that way, and it works for them, but it, it's not in my personality to be like, oh, okay, let's do a crash course in, in partying and yeah. networking. But in business, that would be the equivalent of like going and studying IBM in the 1960s. So I, I do think like um, there is opportunity for you to leverage um, like your naivete to potentially uncover new ways. That is like something that's built into like cycle after cycle. Because when I was in school, video art was like the up and coming thing. And Ryan Trocarton was the breakout star. And so was Matthew Barney at the time. Like those were the two breakout stars and they were kind of like Yeah, the I remember everybody was so crazy about Matthew Barney. But they were like, how are they going to sell this stuff? People would say. Yeah. It was like, and then they like, in like two seconds, they solved that problem. They're like, we're going to sign DVDs or something. 
<laughs> I can make a fancy case for it. Or with Matthew Barney, he like added some sculptures and some seats to every purchase of a video. Um, it, so it wasn't really like his problem to solve anyway. I th- I'm pretty sure his dealer was just like, well, you need to just make some things to go along with the video. Um, but that like, and that debate seems like so boring compared to the the breakthrough that they were they were trying the actual work. the actual work yeah yeah that's what i mean so i i, I f- but i do understand like i think Ryan Turcotten is a good example where he's drawing on sort of youtube weirdness mm-hmm. and there are so many obscure outsider youtube channels it's the 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 amount of weird stuff that you can pull from is infinite at and that time, though, that it was question. a smaller pool, so he uh, he stood yeah, out. Yeah, really. but yeah, but but still, like you're like, why is this accepted into the art world when I can just do a, a query on Google and find way weirder stuff? Mm-hmm. And and I I do think his work is a good example of him being able to be a crazy internet person, but also being able to function and and, and talk to the right people. I and see. So, like, yeah, there's very few people that can do both. There's there's tons of people who can be smooth art world person and make kind of boring uh, abstract paintings and there's a lot of people who could do weird video stuff on the internet and and he's in between those two things yeah and he had a surround like an entourage of people that he was working with to my point earlier about a collective um so he wasn't working alone to figure that out yeah but i i understand the feeling when you're in art school and you see stuff whether it's matthew barney or whether it's ryan tricardin and i think ryan tricardin is a better Example because you don't need a ton of money. Oh to yeah, make his Matthew Barney's productions video. were over the top. Like if anything, yeah. he was like, "How much money can I waste in the pursuit yeah. of creating something different?" Um, yeah, <laughs> but like, that fe- that feeling of like, "Oh, that person got lucky, and I'm not in the right town," and that's very demotivating. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I remember being in art school and um, thinking I needed to be in a different art school because the art school I was in, no one talked about as a hot, hot school. Yeah, I was at Syracuse for my graduate program and going to grad school at the time, an MFA, there were articles like in the New York Times and the Economist and stuff about how like the MFA was like the new um, MBA and like paintings like fresh out of art school. People were making like hundreds of thousands of dollars. There are all these hot, hot art stars. It was just a weird time. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm missing the wave. I've got to be at Yale. I've got to be at RISD or something like that. Yeah, major FOMO. Oh my God. So I spent about a year like that. And then I went to those places. I visited my friends. I, you know, saw what was happening. I was like, what? This place, everyone's just like, first of all, doing drugs together. And it's like, the art's not that interesting. And I don't know if this is even what I want. Like, what I want to do is, I was like, I had all these nerdy things I wanted to do. I was like, and no one wants to talk to me about these nerdy things. Like, maybe my shitty school is actually pretty good because, like, people do want to talk about these nerdy things, and that's fine. You know, so the FOMO thing is real in art school, but it's like, if I think back, like, no one asks me where I went to art school. Uh, I don't know if they ask. No, I don't even who know. Who did you study with? Yeah, who did you yeah. <laughs> No one asked. I remember that question being asked when I was younger. It's, uh, I started doing group shows, and then they're like, oh, you want to go to this dinner, these people? And then they're like, oh, where did you go to school? Who did you study with? And I was like, oh, never mind. And, uh, it's fine. And Yeah. It, but I, I think I grew up in a small town, and it wasn't like some people are very ambitious already at 17 and they're like i have to get to goldsmith or i have to get to you know that, that that's maybe a relevant question to younger people like do you have to go to a star school or can you go to a cheaper nearby school 
Um, I think you have to go to a school where the artists want to become artists. And so like that, that would be one of the, the characteristics that I would definitely emphasize, like regardless of the price point, how many of these people want to continue to make art for the next 10, 20 years, because you're going to work within that network of people, probably the rest of your, or like not necessarily hardcore, but like early on, especially you'll be meeting those people or they'll introduce you to other people. And you don't want a bunch of, you know, kind of trust fund fakers as, as you might, you know, find in some places that are just going to do it as long as it's cool, you know, like, cause it doesn't stay cool or rich for very long. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I just can remember so many people that were like, like that where they were like hot for six months or hot for a year, then they disappeared and none of that mattered in, in retrospect. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah. the, 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 there's also the argument that art school is so expensive that you might as well just get a studio and buy a bunch of machines and it's still cheaper than, uh, uh, going to art school. Well, if you do that, form a collective. That would be my only point because you need that support network early on. Like you need that community of people who are struggling. And this is true in um, product management. Like in the school we founded too, and we interviewed well, pro- that, product managers that, that, all over the U.S. Yeah. and they said the same thing, which is that's the, the same thing. Why Silicon Valley exists? Yeah. Like you think, oh, it's all software. You can be wherever you want, but there's still a geographic center. And the thing is, it's not the cheesy thing of like. It's who you know, not what what you know. In a in a in like, it's not like in a business sense. It's actually in a support network sense. These are the people that actually unlock new ideas for you, share resources, um, you know, point you in different this, directions. Yeah. It, then it's so difficult when you're 17 to be like, "What's the right place? <laughs> How the fuck are you supposed to know?" Because it's already a scary decision to go to art school, and then yeah. you're like, "Oh, and and." and the the thing is, for example, the big cities have the reputation of being a center for creativity. Yep. But I don't think New York is a center for musical creativity anymore. And I don't think you think of new music coming out of New York because it, it's a very expensive place and everything's connected and everything's on SoundCloud. So I don't think you have to move to New York to make it as a musician. Like that that doesn't apply anymore. And so for visual arts, are there still centers or the, I mean, I'll take the I example really I mentioned of RISD and why I wanted to go to RISD was because RISD had founded this like the grad students there founded this thing called Fort Thunder. Um, and that had resulted in like paper rad and a bunch of really cool stuff in the mid 2000s that I just was like wanted to be a part of. But by the time I was in art school and potentially willing to transfer there fourth thunder had already ended you know like um paper rad had moved to philadelphia or pittsburgh right Um, yeah like woodstock happened and you went yeah exactly so it's that stupid wayne gretzky thing so like you can't chase that you got to create it yourself ultimately um like i i think if you're not doing it like it could it could be in your backyard as long as you can find other people that want to do it there um there is it's, a it is interesting thing, maybe, that but. that that uh, most creative endeavors are perfectly fine on the internet, and we are internet-based artists, so we could argue it's all fine on the internet. But it's still the art world is tied to exhibitions, and mm-hmm. the the biggest exhibitions that have the most exposure are still in expensive cities. Yeah, I mean, going to Syracuse, what I, I would do that, is I just that's try. That's still real. I, I yeah. think if the, your city is near a city, go 
to the openings in that city. We've talked about this on older versions yeah. of the podcast. Like, we'll see if there will ever be openings. Get in a car, get on a train on the weekend, go to the open. <laughs> also, not now. The shocking thing is, not everyone's at those openings that, from the people who live in those cities. I remember like being excited when I was at NYU to go to openings on the weekend and see all my friends from New York <laughs> there, and then I'd get there and I'd be the only one there. And yeah, I'd it's like, like no, there's a new episode of Game of Thrones. Exactly, I'm not going to the exactly. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Um, anyway, so it, and and uh, yeah, also to the art world, art question, art tends to draw people that are introverts, people that like to work by themselves for a long time and not deal with people. Mm-hmm. But then the art world asks all those people to go to events where they don't know everyone and introduce themselves and. Of course, I'm an ex- I'm an extrovert it. though, so I don't know how I got in. Yeah, but that's a that's a funny like almost like a premise for a reality show. Let's put twelve introverts into a brightly lit room and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, let's see what these people without who don't obey any social norms do when we force <laughs> them to have a cocktail party. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so hope that helps. I don't think it's a clear answer, but uh, well, if we like recap, you know. Are, you know, what's the difference between the art and the art world? I think we've discussed not much. <laughs> I mean, there's a few distinctions, maybe money. Uh, do we need art school? Is everyone an artist? Any school is an art school? Kind of. I think we do need art school, just like we need, you know, fried chicken and pizza. And then uh, what kind of courses would we offer? We didn't ever get through that <laughs> part of the thing, but I think we'd offer yeah, some. Yeah, I, I, I think I, think I kind of... Some craft. I don't think I'm a teacher at heart. Like maybe I'll be forced to teach, but it's it's not something uh, that I'm naturally excited about. Well, we definitely there'd be some craft. I'd like some like more meditative things, but I think that's what a like open studio class is already. It's like a open forum for. And that was one thing I learned as a teacher: is you're not supposed to fill the classroom with content. You're supposed to lead the students to fill the classroom with content. Um, big mistake. I thought it was just information download. So we wouldn't do just huge amounts of information download. We give access and create mm. space. And the social media question or what tricks would we teach? The tricks would be, I would do a lot of marketing tricks that aren't tricks at all. They're just like to follow, um, to be yourself, as you would say, right? Like to um, to position you. It's <laughs> always funny when you see a dating show or something like tips. Just be yourself. <laughs> see this completely shy awkward teenager well i could like download a bunch of books on the topic like fancy marketing books like positioning books and but at the end of the day actually it just does come down to i think that. you should start a tony robbins influenced like your art school should be <laughs> bob ross meets tony robbins <laughs> i think that that's the painting with john thing if you if folks yeah. have the chance to check that out on hbo it's kind of um i feel like Seinfeld's comedians and cars getting coffee, you know, good point. It all leads eventually to an HBO show <laughs> where yeah. someone just chats. We're with still you. streaming buddies. Yeah. 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 The, the, yeah, I think like the find your own wisdom, find your own path. Well, it's never going to go out of style. That's always going to be going to be good yeah. advice. Yeah. I hope that helps. Oh, you know what else you could, we could recommend? Watch commencement speeches from colleges. <laughs> you know, what's this like the spoiler? Uh, you can just like watch everyone graduating and see what the uh, the commencement speech looks like. Did you have like a commencement? Most art schools don't have commencements, right? No. At Syracuse, no, no. we had like 
Billy Joel as our, and the year before that, Hillary Clinton and things like that. It was like, oh, wow. Well, expensive yeah. schools, and it's normal. This, my school is normally expensive for folks, but um, they bring in celebrities to do the commencement speeches to make it seem. Yeah, that's what sells the. Because yeah. the, the that's student. when the parents show up, right? They're like, wow, yeah. we really got some good quality for this. <laughs> <laughs> that was worth fifty thousand. Yeah, totally. That's that Billy Joel speech. By the way, it was funny with Billy Joel. He had wrote, he wrote his speech on his way up from New York to Syracuse in the car, and he wrote it as like a drum beat on his dashboard, <laughs> and then he proceeded to like kind of like freestyle drum on the podium and kind of. It was kind of like this podcast, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but it was awesome. I actually really enjoyed his speech. <laughs> I wish I could remember what he said, though. Yeah. All I remember is that he tapped the podium. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have a good time. That would be my advice. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again. Best time of my life. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, please send us more questions, and uh, we're happy to answer as many of them as possible. Yeah, well, yeah. We just can't promise that the quality will be good, or that you should take our advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And but we do. We are really grateful that you listen, and that you ask, and that you explore with us. And um, please continue. And um, yeah, I feel like we have. We don't have a tagline. Like I want to say, have a story worthy day or something, which I think is from another podcast. But like um, this, we need to come up with something. Yeah, please send us ideas. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a question for our audience. Okay. 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 See you next week. Bye. (laughs) Bye.